Support for Everything Explained comes from the College of St. Rose, Albany, offering a one-year MBA program for full-time and part-time students with evening courses to accommodate working professionals. Applications being accepted for spring and summer 2017 enrollment. strose.edu. It hasn't been a great season for those with a fear of clowns. But what is a clown? Like, what really makes a clown a clown? Is it someone who dresses up in stereotypical garb? Someone whose goal is to make us laugh at ourselves? An insult to call your enemy? This is Everything Explained, a podcast dive into issues discussed in the media. This week, we talk to Raliachi, a clown out of Troy, New York, about his experiences as a clown and some of the history behind where clowns come from. When it comes to this whole creepy clown fiasco that people are talking about often, what's your take on it? Have you actually experienced any clown hatred yourself? Mm, certainly. First of all, I remember seeing a Facebook post pop up, right? And it was a local report from a local news station. I forget which one, but basically saying that they had spotted a creepy clown in an apartment complex standing some distance away, not doing anything, just being still and um, apparently inspiring terror in the... Uh, Suburbia. <laughs> well, yeah, the suburbs, but also like schools have reported it now. And people in the cities have reported, although it does seem to be overwhelmingly being reported in suburban neighborhoods. Um, I know Clifton Park was one, to the point that the superintendent of schools, if I want to understand correctly, was saying that anybody in the school who dressed as a clown on Halloween would be subject to all sorts of investigation or discipline, which is crazy how quickly these things escalate. In my personal life, as, as a practicing clown, I recently actually experienced some discrimination. Not only have people come up to me on the street and asked me, you know, what do you think about it? Are you worried about performing out? But it actually happened where I had a performance at a public venue where the organizer of that, uh, of that event came to me and said, I don't want you to wear face paint. I don't want you to be a clown. I said, well, that's what I am. That's what you are experiencing when I perform. And a clown for me is a very long-standing tradition that brings these worlds of like theater and music and interacting with children together. So to censor myself would be disingenuous and not only disingenuous but harmful to what I'm trying to convey to the audience and so we had to have a long talk about that because she was saying she had a 14 year old daughter and her 14 year old daughter was reposting things that she found in the media wasn't necessarily checking her sources she didn't want this to get out of control and of course not for people at this event to feel uncomfortable with the fact that there would be a clown performing there as I was pulling into the parking lot of the venue someone rolls down their window, leans out and says, you got a lot of balls showing up here like that. Really? And I just kind of look at them and I'm like, what do you mean? As I'm shouting out back out of my window, dressed in full clown, waving with a top hat on. And he's like, you're dressed like a clown. Like, don't you think you're going to scare people? And it's like, because you feel that way, I have to do this even further. I have to do this more to kind of change the paradigm of what people think clowns are. And so I'm not afraid. And yes, I have experienced some discrimination but no one has actually attempted to stop me. In fact, most places that I've performed where there has been some tension or some questions about it, they wind up just enjoying it and maybe having a short dialogue at the end. What makes you think that people have gotten so scared of this? Is it is it the media bringing it forward, you know, the media as a conglomerate bringing it forward into the public's 
eye or is it more of a just like the juxtaposition of say a clown being a happy thing hmm. and now it's turning into a scary thing for some people well patrick i think that this trope of creepy clown has actually been around for a really really long time in america you know we can discuss a few of the media contributions of that stephen king's it you know yep. a killer clown John Wayne Gacy Jr., a famous serial killer who dressed like a clown and did terrible things to children. Um, We can also talk about the Insane Clown Posse, that most ridiculous band of the 90s that um, promoted hyperviolence and were on screen doing all sorts of unspeakable things, but for the purpose of promoting music. I think that in America specifically, and possibly in the world, clowns represent uh, a liminal state, right? You don't you don't have a necessarily specific identity. You are somewhere in between human and non-human. You may take on a human form. I have arms, I have legs, I have faces, I wear hats, I wear clothes. But then I paint my face and somehow I'm somewhere in between. I'm no longer the person I was before I put face paint or a mask, if you will, on. But I'm not an animal. I'm not a a specifically fictional character. It's not necessarily a costume. It represents a liminal state where as an audience member, as someone at home, you don't necessarily know what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, what I'm even here for, right? And so, in fact, I think that puts the onus on the clown to be as expressive and communicative as possible in having a conversation with with the public. But who do I think is to to blame, so to speak, for Mm -hmm. the creepy clown epidemic? I think um, the recent reposting of all of these, like, quote-unquote, incidents in the media um, are picked up by people who will find this interesting or who are actually, you know, experiencing colorophobia, the, the fear of clowns, and are just reposting indiscriminately because they want to share it. And that creates kind of a panic. And then you have people in power, law enforcement, or people who are in charge of school superintendents, principals, venue owners, and the like, who then have to think about how this is going to affect their clientele, their audience, their readership, their attendees, their students. And so they begin to also perpetuate this like snowball of fear. To be honest, though, I think a lot of these are like very small, isolated incidences. And in my research thus far, the clowns haven't actually done anything necessarily damaging. I've heard allegations yeah. of, of rape, of violence. But from what I understand, most of them just stand there in very traditional, curly-haired, big-shoed, clown garb and stare right their idea is to just make you feel uncomfortable unsettled just look away ignore them they'll probably go away the only purpose i feel is for them to get a rise out of you you haven't always dreamt of being a clown (laughs) i assume (laughs) why did you become a clown ah great question um you know there's a there's also a combination of factors here to speak most recently, I was on a cross-country journey in 2014 with a backpack, a tiny little drum, and a guitar. I worked my way down the East Coast and met up with a violinist friend in Jacksonville. And from there, we went to St. Augustine, Tallahassee, um, New Orleans, Houston, Austin, Portland, Oregon. Actually, she wound up leaving me behind in New Orleans to go to California. That's mm-hmm. another story for another day. <laughs> But I was actually there with the intention of cutting my teeth as a busker or a street performer, specifically with music. And in New Orleans, during Mardi Gras, there's a street called Royal Street where all of the bands play. Everybody. Travelers who are just, you know, they have their one trick. There was a guy in a wolf mask who just played violin and danced. But there was also several trios and quintets of, like, indie rock bands or bluegrass or swing or what have you. So I was trying to sit on a street corner myself, play guitar with a harmonica, put the hat out and just see what I could do. And I realized... Not only was it incredibly difficult to reach people in a city where they're saturated by this, but also 
just to feel honest and to feel like I'm actually communicating with them, like I'm actually reaching them as a performer. And Mardi Gras obviously inspires a whole bunch of things, especially strange costumes and face paint and becoming something you're not, kind of in honor of this carnival theme. So I wound up just painting my face on a whim one day to celebrate Mardi Gras. So like the traditional colors are the purple, the red, the gold, the green. And had gone out in wild dress, like tying just bits of cloth to myself, having my hat all cockeyed, just kind of trying to be not necessarily as crazy looking to gather attention, but just to like something different, to shake up what I was seeing on the street. And then taking the musical act and changing it, instead of just sitting on the corner and playing softly and hoping someone was going to come by and maybe listen, maybe a few people would gather and they would throw some money in the hat, I wound up like following them down the street creepy no um no just literally like playing guitar and like trying to toy with them trying to have a conversation with the audience as i think some theatrical folks might call it breaking the fourth wall in other words i am not a thing to be observed dispassionately or passively like i am also not here to play to a glass wall and have people observe and appreciate from the other side so you like interactive yeah i brought a whole bunch of percussion instruments and just threw them on the street and was like pick one up come play if someone was like clearly trying to like hide or be like oh you know this person's come i would just toy with them a little bit you know for as long as they felt safe like walk and start singing about them oh there's a woman with crazy blonde hair she's trying not to stare something like that and then all of a sudden you'd see her turn around and like smile boom we had a connection great i've done my job So that started to become in practice for the rest of this like cross-country journey in 2014. And then (laughs) that led me to a a research into clowning as a historical craft, as a spiritual journey for people, as clown as a member of society in many different traditions all over the world. And also discovered that um, my uncle, um, who passed away in 1995, God rest his soul, he... um, he was a clown, actually. Not necessarily a professional clown, like working for Ringling Brothers or anything, but among being a painter, an actor, a writer, a dancer, um, a model, he also did some clowning in Greenwich Village in New York City and really? had a fascination with them where he painted them. And um, I was all of a sudden snapped into a memory of my very young childhood where each one of them, I'm the oldest of uh, three brothers, we each had a portrait of a different clown painted by my uncle on our walls. And so in thinking back, it's like I've always kind of been exposed to clowns as as an idea, as something like part of my narrative. And so it seemed very natural to begin this exploration to what clowning clowning is and was and um, possibly could be. Where yeah. did clowns get their start? Like, where did it come from? Was it Europe? Ooh, man. Gypsies? Uh, yes and no and no and yes. Um, it all really depends. Uh, I would say that from an anthropological standpoint, there are... People who you might identify as clowns in society going as far back as, you know, like ancient Greece even, right? And I'll just speak briefly on this so we can get back to it later. But the idea that a clown is a member of society who has the ability to transgress the normal, the everyday, to buck the law and order set forth by the powers that be in that society so that they may actually have other people experience catharsis through their transgression, right? I mean, for instance, we're on a radio station. If I just, like, toss this mic and start screaming at you and being all kinds of crazy, right, the guys in the other room next door, they'll never do that. They'll never ha- – well, then again. But, <laughs> no, they'll never But they'll never try to buck anything outside of, like, what the context of radio is and what the proper behavior in radio is. Or if it does happen, it's immediately edited. 
so that you know you keep the cont- continuity. For me, <laughs> it actually it actually makes sense to try and do something purposefully, but possibly also erratic or strange or abnormal, so that the balance is shifted for a moment. One short piece about that: there is a sacred clown in the First Nations tradition in Canada, so like indigenous people of of North America who happen to live in the artificially known border as Canada um, at that time, they have a heoka, which is a sacred clown. And I'm not part of this community, and I can't speak necessarily deeply or knowledgeably because I don't know what it is from the inside. But reading about it um, by a book uh, book about a uh, John Lamedeer, and it is about his experience as a sacred clown. They actually called up sacred clowns in their community. Had the literal ability to uh, defecate on the chief's head if they felt the chief was being out of line. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty powerful. Um, the idea being that the chief is still human, you know, is still equal in terms of um, their participation in their community and their tribe. And that if they were getting out of hand, this clown was there to remind them in in a very visceral, physical, observable way that, you're no higher than anybody else. If you're getting out of line, you need to like think about that. And that allowed for, you know, the other people in the community to say, Oh, ha ha, ha great. Like you've been taken down a peg. We feel like we have our power back. It's I think a lot about um achieving achieving balance. So where did clowns start? Um I think clowns as, as we know it in America had a basis in Europe, probably as early as uh the Renaissance. You know, I think even before that, they were called something different, right? We have many synonyms for clown in, in the English language. Fool, jester, so on and so forth. And those are not necessarily clown, but they are definitely a part of that narrative. The general clown community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because like a jester was hired by monarchs, kings and queens, to be an entertainer in court. A clown is also an entertainer. Now, the jester, obviously, if you look at that history, was specifically hired in a lot of ways to be funny and also, interesting point, they were also there to be observant of all of the going-ons of the court. I mean, they were one of the people that were honestly closest to the leader, the kings or the queens, because they were there all day. And in doing so, they probably were privy to a lot of information that the general public wasn't. And they were the only ones who could probably speak out and call a king or a queen ridiculous to actually burlesque them or mock them in public and still keep their head. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, in other words, like to draw an allegory between that Heoka and like medieval clown or medieval jester, you know, you've got the idea that they are there to strike some kind of balance, to take people who have more authority or more power and just let them know, like, hey, I see what you're doing, and I'm going to make that publicly available. So would you say a clown is similar to, like, a political satirist today, similar to, like, Andy Berowitz or um, Stephen Colbert, or is it a little bit more complicated than that? Uh, Well, some of them. I mean, some of them, sure. You know, it depends on the tradition of clowning. Like, clowning is vast, you know, because we have, to to speak a little bit more in the history, and, and I'll definitely get to your question, but... Jesters, fools, medieval clowning. You have um, Shakespeare's clowns. Okay, very important, especially um, since Shakespeare's in the news now. Like, go see a play. Just go do it, please, for the love of the English language, for the love of great art. Just go check it out. But he wrote in clowns as often as the people who are so foolish in their behavior but are also imparting some of the best wisdom and observing of the characters and what's going on with them and is able to kind of speak the truth 
while also being ridiculous. Then you have Commedia dell'arte, where there are different clowns that are kind of all specific roles, specific members of society. You have your like your zani or zany, if you will, who is kind of the ridiculous, erratic behavior, like town crier or town fool. Then you have, you know, the doctor who's like very serious, but also all of these are different archetypes of like human personalities. And the clowns are just making them kind of larger than life and talking about what their potential is to kind of uh, interfere with, interfere with business as usual, interfere with society in a normal way. So if you could reiterate your question, just so I can go more specifically to it, that would be helpful. When it comes to the political satire, so Andy Berwitz, Stephen Colbert, Colbert, people who, you know, make fun of the politics today because we don't have kings and queens, not really in the roles that they used to be. Ah, okay. Now I understand You see, like, a parallel between the clowns and jesters of yesteryear and today's political satirists, or do you think clowns have really diverged? Do they serve a similar purpose? I think a lot of clowns do. Yeah, they are obviously, I mean, they're participants in the world around us. They are privy to the same information and experiences in in the human narrative. And so if they see something they don't like or want to talk about, they do. And they have a way of doing that. I would say, as opposed to necessarily, I mean, well, no, clowns could definitely be satirists. They could be muckrakers in that sense. And they can go from a range of like serious and grave to hilarious, absurd you know, and everywhere in between. There are definitely many clowns who will take current events or like ubiquitous or universal human themes, love, hate, fear, surprise, things like going to the DMV, things like trying to feed your kids, things like um, Emmett Kelly, right? Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, like this era of American circus. He has Hobo Willie and Hobo Willie is this character who burlesques the depression era of the 1930s so he shows up in like a tattered hat and tattered clothes and he's got a red nose and he's got like a big beard but he still has some white face paint so clearly he's he's something more than human something he's not just a hobo he is a clown but he comes out and does a series of acts that are directly related to what it was like to have nothing to feel about being despondent and despairing in the economic failure of America in the 1930s and he has this one act, which is, like, really great. I love this. He has a peanut, and clearly he's been hungry. He's starving. He needs to eat this peanut. He tries as he might. He can't open it with any tools. He just can't crack it open. So finally, after many, many ridiculous attempts, he brings out a huge sledgehammer. And now the audience is like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And he takes it and he brings it down upon that tiny peanut, and he gets so excited. He's elated that he's now going to be able to eat this peanut. He picks it up, and, of course... The shells and the nut have been blown to smithereens and are in an inedible just <laughs> mess on top of the table. And he cries. And so that's funny because, yeah, you took out this big ridiculous object to open a very tiny thing that we all know. You just crack it open. Yeah. But then on top of that, he's destroyed so the clown doesn't get what he wants. That's funny. But then you, if you if you think about it for a second, it's like now that clown has nothing to eat today, and that clown is representative of like a person who probably didn't have anything to eat today. So you have this this dichotomy of like really exciting, funny, comedic material that is also presented with like the opportunity to think about something more serious. So I think political satirists and clowns definitely do have a lot in common. But clowns also have a lot in common with other people. I mean, they have a lot in common with musicians. They have a lot in common with with theater and film actors who are maybe just taking you into fantastic worlds or just telling stories as opposed to necessarily being critical about them. 
And there's a lot of good people who fuse the two. Charlie Chaplin, great clown, British, worked in America um, as part of kind of the Hollywood scene. You know, the great dictator, if you know what I'm talking about, his burlesque of Hitler, right? And then he has this great speech at the end where he's talking about what if we didn't have to deal with any of this? What if we all just kind of got together and went along? So, yeah, it's funny. It's hilarious, but there's also, like, some serious content there. Now, I would say there also are a whole slew of clowns. Like, when maybe we think of clowns, we think of the birthday party clowns. Big curly red hair, big shoes, funny costume. The stereotype, that, yeah. That juggle, that entertain children. You know, and who I honestly am concerned about with this creepy clown epidemic. Because I, I wonder if their employment has been affected, especially since their work is so closely involved with children. And, you know, children are... Um, a member of society that we see as like incredibly vulnerable and need to be protected. Like, I really hope that this, this foolish epidemic has not um, caused them to like lose their jobs or not be able to find work or to be criminalized or victimized during this. But at the same time, you know, I just think it's important to keep doing that work as much as possible. I'm certainly not going to get into a discussion about how we need to rally around clowns. Mm. Um, There are a lot more serious issues, you know, Um, someone had actually, I think I've seen a trope, uh, hashtag clown lives matter. And I think that's deplorable. I think that's not okay because you're taking something very serious like the Black Lives Matter movement and social justice and the idea of an entire demographic of society that is trying to you know, fight for their beliefs and for justice and then you're kind of putting it on these, on these, on these other members of society who are entertainers who, yeah, might be receiving some flack because of this, but, but the truth is like they're not being killed, they're not being harmed, at least as far as we know yet, so... Just an important aside. Do you think that it's important for clowns to be more tapped in with emotions and current events than, say, you know, your standard average person? Hmm. Because clowns seem so over the top with, you know, happiness, or as you mentioned before, with the peanut gag and the Mm -hmm. crying, being able to understand that human emotional connection more than, say, you know, your average Joe on the street. Not to trivialize other people's emotions, obviously. No, no, but... certainly not. Certainly not. We all have feelings and perhaps thoughts about them and to be in touch with them. And in fact, I think the greater amount of self-awareness we can have to be able to be in touch with those feelings and express them is really important. I think clowns as, a, as roles, as members in society, have a responsibility to be larger than life, to to bring it to that because you are actually talking to huge demographics of humanity, parts of society, trying to maybe touch upon universal themes. And at the end of the day, even if like our own feelings, which are entirely valid, feel unique to us or we feel alone in those feelings, there's a really good chance that there are other people who are experiencing the same thing. And clowns maybe experience that so that a lot of people can identify with that. And that allows members of society, your audience, to transgress. Um, you know, the tradition of clowning that I've been studying, which is called Pochinko, based on a guy um, from the 1960s and 70s based out of uh, Canada, I believe the Toronto area, named Richard Pochinko. Um, a lot of mystery surrounding him. Uh, he apparently was trained in Paris in a traditional French clown school. He either was kicked out or had left. He had done some research on American clowning, was dissatisfied or disinterested, wound up allegedly going to those indigenous communities and meeting one of the Heoka sacred clowns that we talked about earlier, and then had a vision, a dream of him and his partner in outer space seeing the world as kind of a big sad blue ball and wanting to find a way to heal that. And like, what is that? What do, What does humanity need in order 
to be healed from like the trauma of every day, right? Or what I might term as resistance, right? Resistance to be as much yourself as possible, to be as happy as you could possibly be. And it's, you know, those resistances come from, come from things that are terrible, but how do we get through them? It's like truth, like honesty, balance, right? The more honest we are with our feelings, the more vulnerable we are to them being expressed or changing, the more we can then deal with them as tangible objects and then possibly release them through catharsis. I mean, laughter, as, as is said in a cliche, is the best medicine. And it's true. I mean, you have people that go to comedy shows, people that go to clown shows. I was just at a clown show last night in Toronto, New York, actually. Fantastic. Aaron Marquise, Marquise Productions. Check it out. It's totally worth it. But I think that I'm not saying that clowns necessarily feel more. They're not necessarily special in that way. But that's kind of what we're going towards is to to find universal themes, to, to speak more, to speak not for other people, but kind of in honor of, in concert with, to have that conversation. Do you mean like this is something that like you all care about? We've all experienced the loss of a loved one or a family member, you know? I can do that in a way that keeps you safe, that brings it to a level where we can really talk about how serious that is, but in a totally funny way that allows you to process that in the moment, that allows that to like bubble up inside of you, come out as a laugh. And when you leave, maybe you come back with a new awareness. Maybe you haven't thought about your relationship to that theme in a long way. Maybe you haven't thought about your lost love in that way before, your lost family member. And it changes you, and you're okay. It's also important to note that that same thing happens on the other side. A clown can become affected, well, does, I would say, become affected by the audience, right? The way in which people react, the way in which people relate to them and have that conversation, they're changed. It's happened to me all the time where I have a plan. I'm going to play these songs. I'm going to do this bit. I want to talk about these things as a clown. You get out there. The audience is receptive to something different. You start going with that. You start just going to where they want to go. And then that way, when you leave, you're changed as well. You come back with kind of a new awareness of, oh, well, that's that's what people in this town are interested in. That's what they care about. They're, they weren't in a mood to like deal with serious political satire in my clown act tonight. You yeah. know, they wanted to, I don't know, talk about fart jokes. But they wanted to do it in a way that's like, everybody poops, and that's funny, and that's something we're dealing with. Oh, and then that could relate to something totally different, like, I don't know, water main pollution from fracking, or who knows, who knows. Now I'm just taking it totally out of context, but... So earlier you said clown school. Where do you go for clown school? Like I'm familiar with like, you know, Culinary Institute of America for like cooking and then, uh-huh. you know, uh, Syracuse University, the Newhouse School for Journalism. Yeah, yeah. What's that for clowns? Great. Well, there's there's a bunch of them. Um, you know, clown definitely having a basis in Europe. Uh, there's a specific type of physical theater uh, in specifically France right that revolves around clowning and also circus acts greater circus acts like clowns and circus i think work together but they're not necessarily always tied they have several schools that try to teach specifically like how to be a clown how to juggle how to like be an acrobat how to do those kinds of physical things but also like how to tell a story with that and how to be a clown as like a state of mind as a state of being this honorist vulnerable like more than human or even sometimes less than human character that people can relate to and interact with now in montreal which is not too far from here you know only about four hours north on i-87 we have la Col nationale 
which is a circus school in Montreal that trains a lot of folks um, in the style of what we would recognize as Cirque du Soleil, right, which is based out of Montreal. There's also the Ringling Brothers Clown School that trains clowns specifically to be that that kind of circus clown, which is great. You have, and I don't necessarily know if these are the same, but like Rodeo Clown, right, that's a yeah. whole thing in the, the American West and Southwest. And then there are other traditions. I mean, the one that I chose, this Pochinko clowning, was originally during the 60s and 70s, all taught by this one guy, Richard Pachinko, who would have kind of conventions, if you want to call them that, or large groups of people um, intentionally traveling to a singular place and spending time like in the woods, at a home, whatever have you, and going through the processes that he had created, these workshops, these games that you would play, these things that you would think about, performing, being evaluated by your peers, trying new things, maybe presenting some of it to the public, going deeply in that way. But he only taught it to a few other people in the world and then unfortunately died of complications with HIV AIDS, I believe in the early 80s. And so his work was kind of unfinished, but those people have picked it up and taught it to other people. And Luckily, one of those people who were taught happens to live in West Philadelphia, not too far from here. And she, Donna Oblongata, has opened a kind of clowning workshop school in West Philadelphia where we occupied um, a space that is now a fully operating theater, but before that was an abandoned paint manufacturing warehouse. And it's called Panorama. And you kind of, we went there for a six week intensive in a big warehouse room with like a wheat pasted floor. And just started to learn about this guy and learn about clowning and the history of clowns. So there's a whole bunch of traditions. There's a whole bunch of ways. And there are definitely institutions, but there are also, you know, probably a lot of YouTube videos. There's probably a lot of online information. And there's probably a lot of people who just try to emulate whatever they're seeing, whether it's in the circus or in the media. And in fact, that may be a contributory factor as to what we're looking at now with the creepy clowns that like seeing those tropes on the internet and like researching them is like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. It's Halloween. I want to be scary. But like clowns have this like already built in scary thing. Like I'm just going to do that. And there's information available. Like if nothing else, there's an image of what a creepy clown looks like. Would you have any suggestion for somebody with a phobia of clowns, a way to get over it? (laughs) I know it's hard to tell somebody of a way to get over something that's you know, a phobia is an irrational fear. Right. Is there a way to learn or Oh man, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily on I don't know if the onus is on the person. Like to be totally honest with you. I, I think I think asking them like, well, you should just go to a clown show and you should just like sit there and stare at them and like go through your fear. I think that could be helpful for some people. In fact, in the clowning tradition that I work with, Pachinko, we have a phrase called go to disaster go to the fear, right? So if something's going wrong or if you are all of a sudden on stage and you feel afeared about something, go there. Go all the way there. Experience that emotion fully so that, you know, that's a resistance. You can identify that resistance. You can live that resistance and then hopefully maybe release it. You know, it would be my hope if people who were a little squeamish about clowns went to a performance and experienced it honestly and maybe learned that it's not so scary. You know, maybe try to find out why they have that going on. But for other people, I mean, there are people I know who are friends of mine who won't go and see my performances because they don't like clowns, because they are afraid of of just the appearance. It's already unsettling. So what can we do? What can we do for them? I think 
since so many people are receptive to to media outlets, especially during this time, with the advent of you know online social media and such great accessibility, I think changing what clowns represent in society and maybe promoting more. I don't want to say positive, but more constructive messages of clowns as opposed to destructive, like this creepy clown thing, obviously went viral very quickly. But, you know, does Charlie Chaplin go as viral? Does Emma Kelly go as viral? Does the Red Bastard, who is a clown out of Europe, who's like incredibly funny and interesting. Um, actually, he might be Canadian. I'm not sure. But he's like he's incredibly funny and gets people to to relate to him. And he's kind of scary. He wears this big red suit and he gets in people's faces and like steals their pizza off the street. You know what I mean? He's like he's like definitely jarring in terms of society. If we can have maybe more clear representations of clowns as members of society that are trying to help, that are entertainers, that um, come from a place of love and of honesty and of just bringing sheer joy to people then maybe we can begin to change that trope. And I also think we have to talk about this this idea that that there are people who want to inspire fear and use fear to... Uh, I don't know what they're trying to do. I guess they're trying to get attention or they're trying to unsettle people. Maybe they're just trying to promote the new Stephen King movie. Maybe they're just trying <laughs> to emulate their own feelings about society that are negative in a way that feels safe to them because maybe they're hiding behind a clown, but a clown doesn't hide. I suppose that's the thing. Like the face paint I'm wearing right now is not um, so that you can't see what I'm doing. It's so that it exaggerates what I'm doing more so, if that makes sense. It, you know, if somebody's happy, the, it'll bring out the happiness. If somebody's terrified, it probably makes that even more so. I mean, we have in pop culture, there's things like uh, I'm going to bring up Batman. Okay, great. <laughs> so na, 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 Batman, na, 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 as you na, said, na, na. a clown becomes a kind of symbol for people. People can hide behind it. Batman himself in the comics, he was afraid of bats, so he took on the mantle. But also in Batman, there's another thing. There's the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great. So when it comes to, say, you know, representations in the media, besides promoting maybe you know, a more constructive message and a more positive message for clowns, is there another way to build that while maintaining those cultural icons that aren't going to go away (laughs) Mm, i see what you're saying because the joker clear i mean in the batman story is a criminal is is a bad guy although in some recent analysis of batman some people say that joker is the real hero yeah Uh, right which is interesting to think about Uh, but either way he is a clown so to speak uh wears the face paint and and funny clothes and and has magic tricks and and so on and so forth what do I think about what do I think about that? I mean, of course, those trips are great. They're entertaining. I mean, I love the Joker myself. You know, I think that uh, that characters kind of struggle with wherever they came from. And I'm not so well versed in the story. I was not a like graphic novel uh, junkie growing up. And yeah. I, of course, I saw the movies, and I'd love to like hear somebody else's perspective on that and learn more. But the Joker, I think, is important to keep around. And I think it's okay to even say like, yeah, there are some clowns who are bad, right? There are some clowns who do things that hurt people. Uh, and to acknowledge that, but also to evaluate them like you would evaluate anybody else. You know, they're still in some ways human at the end of the day when the face paint comes off. So, you know, they're making those decisions maybe as a clown in that moment, but they're also making those decisions as a human being. And so to kind of um, not conflate the two and maybe separate it out, and there are reasons why this person is doing that. Is that because they're a clown? I don't think so. I think that it It allows us to have dialogue to be able to see clowns who 
are necessary aren't necessarily good in in common societal terms to see somebody like the Joker. Most importantly, I think it's good to have that conversation to be like, "Yo, this freaks me out. This this clown is scary, but I like it or I don't like it." Talk about it with with your neighbors, with your friends, with other people, you know? Have to have discussions about it and then go see a clown show. And in contrast to what I was saying earlier about like trying to put out a constructive message, just go check it out. Go throw yourself in the mix and see how it makes you feel. See if you're actually really afraid of clowns or if it's something else. Maybe it's just the face paint. Maybe it's just like weird body movements. Maybe it's overly sized top hats. I don't know. But go there and just experience what's available and maybe even try it yourself. In fact, I would love and will do either this winter or early in the spring is teach a little bit of what I've been learning in the Pachinko workshop and pass that on to members of the Capital Region to experience clowns, to experience uh, um, your own clown, trying to find what that means for you um, through a number of like multimedia, potentially I would say dissociative practices, like using um, a color meditation and then painting what that world looks like to you. but on impulse immediately, taking um, a focus on directions and then molding clay out of that with your eyes closed and making a mask out of that and then finding a story for that mask and like how it acts and what it is. And that's great because it allows your imagination to flourish. It allows you to become something other than yourself and then kind of pulling that all back in and saying, yeah, but that's, that's totally a part of you. Like these fears that we have or this behavior by, by creepy clowns or, or, um, criminal clowns that we have in, in American society and probably in other places in the world, we, that, those are part of humanity. Those are part of us too. You know, normal people do those things as well. So just to think about that and have those discussions. And, like, yeah, dress up like the Joker for Halloween. That's great. That's fantastic. Don't hurt anybody. You know, the most important thing about, I think, performance, especially for a clown, is keeping yourself safe, keeping the space safe, and keeping above and beyond all else the audience safe. Do you have a favorite memory as a clown? <laughs> favorite memory as a clown. Performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think about exactly like what what tickles me. Um kids. Kids, 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 kids. Um th- they have a lot to do with it because they themselves are so unabashedly real with you as you know, they react viscerally you know i have had the experience of showing up to a musical performance and there's kids there and they see one look at me and they start crying and hiding behind their parents legs and you're like no so this you know there's this one kid right this one kid who would not just not want to look at me not want to interact and wasn't necessarily scared i think but more just taken aback like i've never seen this before i don't know what to do with this i don't have thoughts or feelings about it i'm perhaps irrationally afraid of this of this person this clown in front of me and as I was performing I kept trying to like sneak around and like I'm gonna see you I'm gonna look like peek behind the lights like just try and get your attention but in a gentle way and as I was playing the music you see like this child is into the music they kind of peek out from their legs and they look and they get more interested and they peek further out and now they're like staring at you like eye to eye like and now I'm looking at them and like trying to sing and play to them and I'm no longer just trying to entertain I'm not trying to get like a reaction I'm not trying to make them laugh or cry or anything I'm just like hi like I'm a clown you're a child what do you think about this it's okay it's okay for us to like just have this moment 
And the child smiles and a little laugh pops out. And like my heart just gets so big and it melts. And yeah, it's like all kind of very cliche and very, but that's definitely a favorite moment. On the other hand, I mean, Raleigh likes to drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes and get <laughs> kind of crazy, especially if there aren't children at a show, you know, in terms of keeping the audience safe, we can go a different direction with it. You know, uh, Raleigh can get body, can, um, can get in ways that like, appeal to a darker side of humanity. I really like that uh, component of my clown and of, of clowning and performance in general, that you can also talk about the seedier elements of human society or things that are taboo and make them fun and make them enjoyable. And so there are some times where I will just forget what I'm doing on stage, whatever my plan was, and just start playing with the audience, start calling people out on things, start improving, you know, just improvising. And, you know, there was one instance in particular where the audience was listening to a song. My guitar started to act up and was, like, cutting out. And I was having this then kazoo conversation with this guitar, like, what's wrong with you? And the guitar's like, I don't know, you know, and we're having this whole whole thing. And people are laughing and people are into it. I don't even know what I'm doing. It's just coming out of me. I'm not even, like, this is just all being made up on the spot. And then just coming out and saying something, like, kind of completely offensive in a way. And, like, you know, what are you anyway? Like, what... Are you are you male or female, masculine, feminine? Like what the hell are? You? And it's like, I don't know why, but my clown's like, oh, it must be a woman because you're not cooperating. And like the audience like took a beat, and immediately I'm like, oh no, I've said something completely terrible. And often we'll preface my shows with like the views and opinions expressed by Reliacci are not necessarily the views and opinions expressed by you know, and then go on and talk about the venue or you know my other name, yada yada yada. And then they just broke out hysterically laughing, and it's uh, the ability for like the clown gets to say those things not because the clown believes them but because it it represents like a transgression in normal conversation that's not okay and i and i personally feel like as a human being that's not okay to say those things you know there's a lot of there's a lot of issues around um gender identity and sexuality and race and all sorts of uh, social issues right now and more than being um politically correct i think it's really important to just make sure that you know you are aware of the impact of your words and how they can affect people, especially if it's in a negative way. But as a clown, to be able to do that and to be able to get a rise and just make them think and go, huh, I took this totally inanimate object, like gave it a gender, made people think about it, told it wasn't cooperating, made a judgment on it, and then they just laugh. They laugh and now we're all part of the conversation. It's like cathartic to be like, that's not okay. That's really funny. Why are things that aren't okay funny? And then to make them think about that. Perhaps because they're humanizing a clown now. Because everyone has, you know, border edge bad thoughts every so often. So when they see something that seems familiar, they can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And so. I think I think that's really part of it. I think clowning is about getting to the the meat and potatoes of humanity. You know, and it could be in a Florida fantastic way, but it's like, who are we? What are we? How can we talk about what everyday life is and maybe what we'd rather be doing or how we really feel inside? I mean, I've seen I've seen a clown act recently at a workshop I was in in West Philly where um, this person's clown, she gets up there and she's on a phone, right? And she has a baby in her arms and a laptop and she's clearly on the phone with like Comcast or Time Warner Cable. And goes through this whole bit of being on hold and trying to, like, nurse the baby while trying to, like, type on the computer while trying to talk to these people while trying to cook breakfast. And it becomes, like, hilarious and ridiculous because she's trying to do all these things at once. But then you actually watch this kind of, like, break down. You watch 
her get more and more exasperated by every time being put again on hold. You watch her like kind of fall apart. That's something we can all relate to. We've all been on hold with like the internet company for way too yeah. long, and they're not helping us. And the clown represents um, a way in which like you could transgress. You could say that I'm going to freak out, and I'm going to say terrible things on the phone. I'm going to smash the phone. I'm going to throw the computer out the window. You know, Not things that we would probably normally do as rational human beings, but we might feel that way. And that's cool. It gets to, to answer a question from earlier, you know, to or to addend to a question from earlier. You were talking about emotions and feelings. How do we, how do we get to those feelings? This is a way to get to those feelings. Things that we, because of the way society operates, are not necessarily keen on presenting or or expressing, acting out. A clown lets you do that. A clown does that so that the audience may go, "Hey, I couldn't do that, and my I can't scream at my boss." You know, I can't, to use the Heokai example, defecate on my chief's head, (laughs) my leader's head, but someone else can. And I feel that way. You've allowed me to feel a way that I've maybe been suppressing or holding back for so long. And I think that is like the true meaning of a clown. And there's been done so many ways through dance, through funny bits and gags, through music. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Um, I don't know if you have time for a for a bit of a song. Yeah, we could. Um, sure. Um, Raleigh actually had come with his guitar to the interview, and at the end, he said he wanted to play us a song he wrote on the whole fear behind clowns. I'm just gonna let it play. Upon this mortal coil And not meekly abandoning Belief in magic, no At the core our water fertile soil But roots just drink it in I am free to believe And to begin Those that may pass us by Would be the eyes only suffering is all life comes to be sometimes everything and nothing whirls around my head sneaks into my bed at night I like my darkness truly please don't try to hide my light I found my rest when I was weary it was only reckoning that was a clear and present danger to the lie, I bear a gift upon my shoulders. It's only leavening my soul, my bread, my whole body is alive. Oh, alive. And I am not concerned with how the fire burns or why what matters to me is that it does when those sparks ignite. No, you feel it too. The wind is roaring in our ears. It is the music of the lightning. It's the patient of our fear. It's okay to be afraid. 
but do not shy away. Turn on and face the day. Don't let it bother you now. Push it up and pull it through. Convince the good things to stay. and charcoal pieces striking the canvas gray reading oracles from paper and burning them away my moral compass is still spinning I've yet to find my north my world is wild awake and willing how about yours how about yours and when this galleon is moored it's only burgeoning, I am the crew and captain too. When the sky is threatening, three sprightly gusts blow towards me. Wine lovers and song, ditch the pails, unfurl the sails. The ship is moving on. It's okay to be afraid, but do not shy away. Turn on and face the day. Don't let it bother you now. Push it up and pull it through. Convince the good things to stay. It's okay to be afraid, but do not shy away. Turn on and face the day. Let it bother you now. Push it up and pull it through. Convince the good things to stay. Inquisitors upon this mortal coil And I'm meekly abandoning Belief in magic, no At the core are water fertile soil The roots just drink it in I am free to believe Oh, to believe And to begin If you enjoyed this episode of Everything Explained, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, stop by, leave us a review. It actually helps us to make more podcasts just like the one you're hearing right now. For this podcast, which is Everything Explained, I'm Patrick Garrett. 